Well, a pleasant good evening again. And it's great to see so many of you again in the middle of the week. And tonight's topic is a very exciting topic, so I'm glad that you're here. And I'm, I've been looking forward all day to this presentation as we're going to get into some very interesting material. Before we start, let's have a word of prayer, so let's bow our heads at this time. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be in your presence. We thank you that we can be here for this presentation. I pray that you would speak through me and may the message from Daniel 7 be clear and may we have an understanding for the time in which we live. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So tonight we are going to get into Daniel chapter 7. Now, we have already laid the foundation for prophecy in the book of Daniel and for the kingdoms of this world that take us down to the end of time when we study Daniel chapter 2. However, Daniel chapter 7 marks a transition in the book of Daniel because from this point on, all of the chapters are primarily related to visions that Daniel receives. In Daniel chapter 2, the vision was first given to Nebuchadnezzar, and then Daniel received it and interpreted it. But starting in Daniel 7, all of the visions are given to Daniel directly, and they are visions that relate to the kingdoms of this world that take us down to the very end of time with a specific focus in each of the visions. And tonight we're going to see the focus on the judgment. So our title is Daniel 7 and the Judgment. Now I'm just going to read you one quote. This is from the book Prophets and Kings, page 547, written by Ellen White. as She makes commentary on the book of Daniel. And she says, As we near the close of this world's history, the prophecies recorded by Daniel demand our special attention as they relate to the very time in which we are living. Do you believe that? So I'm glad to see all of you here. With them should be linked the teachings of the last book of the New Testament scriptures. Now what's the last book? Revelation. Revelation. And we're going to do a little bit of that tonight, showing a connection between Daniel and Revelation. Satan has led many to believe that the prophetic portions of the writings of Daniel and of John, the Revelator, cannot be understood. But the promise is plain that special blessing will accompany the study of these prophecies. So I really believe that as each one of us have been coming throughout this series, we are receiving a special blessing that will prepare us and help us to be ready for the soon coming of Jesus. Now, let's get into Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to verse 1 of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Now the first thing to notice, Daniel chapter 7 jumps back in time to the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. We saw the end of Belshazzar in chapter 5, and then we saw the rise of Medo-Persia in chapter 6. Now we're jumping back in time to the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, but that's because Daniel takes us through chronologically his life in Babylon in the first six chapters, and then we jump back to the prophecies in chapter 7. Now continuing in verse 2, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, Behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Now, if you're in your sleep and you have a dream and you see four great winds blowing on the sea, and it says they strove on the sea, that would make you think that there must be some kind of strife, some kind of trouble that is taking place for wind to blow on the sea and for the sea to be troubled. 
Not only that, your interest would be generated even further as you see four great beasts come up out of the sea. Now, first of all, we see Daniel has this vision at night. We see that the four winds are striving upon the sea. And we see that the four beasts come up from the sea. Now, when we talk about beasts, and you can see on the screen here, Daniel 7 itself helps us to understand what these four beasts are. We don't have to guess and say, what could these beasts possibly be? Daniel has a dream and he sees beasts. I don't know, maybe they represent different types of animals that will populate the earth before Jesus comes back. Now, we don't have to guess because Daniel 7 interprets itself. Do you see that? We let the Bible interpret interpret itself and when the Bible interprets itself we don't have to guess as to the meaning. So in verse 3 four great beasts come up from the sea but in verse 17 Daniel is told in the same chapter these great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Now someone may say okay if I can go back in history and learn of four powerful kings who reigned on the earth, then I can know who these beasts are. But then verse 23 gives us an even better clue. These aren't just kings, they're actually kingdoms. Notice in verse 23 it says, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. You see that? So the fourth beast is the fourth kingdom. So in scripture, a king and a kingdom can be used interchangeably and a beast represents a kingdom. So what this tells us is that Daniel is receiving a vision about four kingdoms that come up out of the sea. Now, when we study Daniel chapter 2, how many kingdoms were there? There were four main kingdoms, gold, silver, brass, and iron. And then the iron mixed with the clay, but the iron continued on. So there's four main kingdoms in Daniel 2, and here in Daniel chapter 7, again, there are four main kingdoms. So Daniel 2 laid the foundation, and Daniel chapter 7 is repeating that with additional information. Now. We also want to know, what does the sea represent? We see that the four beasts come up out of the sea. Well, in Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, and if you turn there briefly, we see that waters represent peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So the sea or waters in the Bible represent populated areas, which tells us that these four beasts or kingdoms come up out of heavily populated areas at that time in Earth's history. They're not coming up out in the middle of nowhere where nobody existed. These are at the center of the world at the time from which they come up out of. So that's the first three verses of Daniel chapter 7. So Daniel's having, he has a vision. Now if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar was given his dream in chapter 2 because he wondered what would happen after he passed off the scene. Now, Ellen White makes a statement that Daniel was also wondering about the prophecies, and so he received this vision. This is Prophets and Kings, page 553. Shortly before the fall of Babylon, when Daniel was meditating on these prophecies and seeking God for an understanding of the times, a series of visions was given him concerning the rise and fall of kingdoms, with the first vision as recorded in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel, an interpretation was given, yet not all was made clear to the prophet. Now here's what's interesting. First of all, Daniel was thinking about these prophecies. And because he was thinking about the prophecies, he was thinking about how another kingdom inferior to the head of gold in Daniel 2 would replace Babylon. So he's wondering, how is that going to happen? And so God gives him further information before Babylon falls. Now this teaches us something. 
We should be studying and thinking about the prophecies that show us what is going to happen before Jesus comes so that we can have a clear understanding. We may not have visions like Daniel, but we can have a clear understanding and God will direct our study. And it's interesting, not all was made clear to Daniel, but we, as we study these prophecies now that we're way at the other end, we can actually have a clearer understanding of these prophecies than the prophet Daniel himself had when he was given these visions. Isn't that interesting? Here we are living in 2011, and we can know more about what Daniel 7 meant than Daniel even understood. So let's continue. Ellen White talking about the winds. She says, winds are a symbol of strife. The four winds of heaven striving upon the great sea represent the terrible scenes of conquest and revolution by which kingdoms have attained a power. That's Great Controversy, page 440. So this shows you that these four kingdoms, there's going to be terrible strife as they combat with each other, as they compete with one another to rise to the top of the world. Now, let's... So, read Daniel chapter 7 verse 4. Moving on here. This describes the first beast. The first was like a lion and had an eagle's wings. So what was the first beast like? It was a lion. So one of the four beasts, the first one was a lion. Continuing on, I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given unto it. So here's what we see about the lion. It's interesting. In Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 17, and we should read that. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 17. Here's what we read. Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. So who has driven away Israel? The lions. First the king of Assyria hath devoured him, and last this Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, hath broken his bones. So in Jeremiah 50 verse 17, Assyria and Nebuchadnezzar are the two lions described. So Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are described as a lion in the Bible. So again, if we just let the Bible interpret itself, we don't have to guess as to what the lion represents. Not only is, do we have a lion here, this beast is a lion, it has eagle's wings, and then we see that the eagle's wings are plucked. Now do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? That's a bad thing, and it stands up and it develops the heart of a, of a man. Now first of all, when you think about a lion, the lion is the head of the animal kingdom. When you think of the strongest and the fiercest animal, you would think of a lion. So the first kingdom would be the strongest kingdom, the best kingdom. Just as in Daniel chapter 2, the head of gold, gold was the best of the metals. You see that? Okay. So Babylon is represented as the lion. Nebuchadnezzar is described as a lion in Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 17. And so the, the lion is representing the kingdom of Babylon. And again as we saw in Daniel chapter 2, this lion reigned from 605 to 539 BC. Now it's interesting, if you see this picture here on the screen, what do you see here on the screen? That's a lion, right? Do you know where this picture is taken from? This is actually taken from the Pergamon Museum in Berlin, Germany, which transported from ancient Babylon a lot of the ruins from Babylon. And if you ever go to Berlin, Germany, and I haven't, but I got this picture off the internet, this is the Ishtar Gate, the great Ishtar Gate, which was one of the main entrances into the city of Babylon. And lions were the main animal that were depicted on that gate. So Babylon itself used the lion to represent itself. So when God gives Daniel this vision and he sees that the first beast is a lion, he has to know that this is representing Babylon just as the head of gold represented Babylon. Do you see that? 
because the Babylonians themselves used the lion to describe themselves. Not only did God describe Nebuchadnezzar as a lion, he also the, so God describes Nebuchadnezzar as a lion, he describes Babylon as a lion, but the Babylonians themselves described themselves with a lion. So the first beast clearly represents Babylon. And we see that the lion's wings were plucked, a man's heart is given to it. So we see when you have your wings plucked and you go from being a lion to having your heart of a lion changed to the heart of a man, you see that your kingdom is weakening because a man is not as strong as a lion. If you put a lion and a man head to head in a battle, if a man doesn't have a gun, he's done. It's over. The lion will devour him. So Babylon's strength is weakened before it falls to Medo-Persia. So that's Daniel chapter 7 and verse 4. So let's move on. So in a way we're reviewing the kingdoms that we learned from Daniel chapter 2. So Daniel chapter 7 verse 5, let's read that. It says, And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. So here's what we see. This bear is raised up on its side. Now it's interesting, when we study Daniel 8 on Friday night, we're going to see that the that Medo-Persia is represented by a ram. It has two horns. The higher horn comes up second. And here you see the bear raised up on its side. This shows that Medo-Persia had two divisions to the kingdom, and one part of the kingdom was stronger than the other. Persia was stronger than Media. So that's what it means when the bear is raised up on its side. And we'll talk about that again when we come to Daniel chapter 8 in our next presentation. Not only that, a bear is inferior to the lion just as silver is inferior to gold. Do you see that? So the same pattern from Daniel 2 is being seen here. It's just being used with different symbols. Now we have beasts as opposed to metals. And it's interesting, the bear has three ribs in its mouth and scholars believe that this represents the three kingdoms that Medo-Persia conquered in its rise to world power. And those were the kingdoms of Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. So it's interesting how precise and accurate Bible prophecy is. Amen? Amen. So Medo-Persia reigned from 539 to 331 BC. So, so far so good. Same kingdom, same order, similar characteristics. Let's go on now to Daniel chapter 7 verse 6. Daniel chapter 7 verse 6 says, After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, the beast also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So this is interesting. You have a leopard with four heads and four wings. Now when you think of a leopard, as far as the animal kingdom goes, what do you know about a leopard? A leopard is very fast, is it not? And here the leopard is not only fast in and of itself, it also has four wings to help it go even faster. So the leopard is one of the fastest animals, and not only is it fast, it has four wings to make it go even faster. So the leopard is known for its speed. Not only that, so we know that as we studied from the image in Daniel 2 and we saw that Medo-Persia replaced Babylon and Daniel 8 shows that Greece replaces Medo-Persia, we know we're talking about Greece here. Greece conquer conquered the world rapidly under Alexander the Great, much more so than the kingdoms that preceded it. Now you see it had four heads. The, the beast has four heads. The leopard has four heads. This represents the four divisions that Greece was split up into after Alexander the Great died. You had Lysimachus, Cassander, Ptolemy, and Seleucus, the four generals of Alexander. Alexander was asked on his deathbed, who will get your kingdom? And his answer was the strongest. And this turned out to be a division into four 
kingdoms. And Greece reigned from 331 to 168 BC. And again, it's very interesting. God shows that this beast would have four heads, and sure enough, the kingdom was divided into four parts. And in fact, on this slide, you can see the four divisions of Greece. You can see Cassander to the, in the northwest, and Lysimachus to the east of Cassander, and then Seleucus was the largest division, and then Ptolemy. We're going to come back to these divisions again in Daniel 8 and in Daniel 11. And in Daniel 11 specifically, for those of you who have studied Daniel 11, if you've heard about the king of the north and the king of the south, these divisions will play a, a key part in how we start our understanding of the king of the north and king of the south. So that's just a preview for when we get to Daniel chapter 11. Let's continue on. So we understand so far so good the first three kingdoms parallel nicely with what we saw in Daniel 2. Let's go on to verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, if you're paying attention very carefully, you see that this fourth beast seems to get more attention than the three previous beasts. Do you see that? Because this is just verse 7, and then we're going to see verse 8. The other beasts had one verse each, and it was a pretty short description, right to the point. Here in verses 7 and 8, and we're just looking at verse 7 so far, you see a more dramatic description. It's like you see the first three beasts, and after Daniel mentions the first three beasts, then he says, after I saw them, then he makes special mention of the fourth beast, which tells you that in all likelihood, and, and it is the way it, this is how it really is, this beast is the beast that, should, that we should give the most attention to in Daniel chapter 7. The fourth beast. It's terrible dreadful, strong exceedingly. It has great iron teeth. It break and devoured in pieces. It stamped the residue with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the beasts and it had ten horns. So it's diverse. It's different from the three beasts that came before. So let's notice this. It's strong with iron teeth. Now, do you remember how that compares to the fourth kingdom in Daniel chapter 2? The fourth kingdom in Daniel chapter 2 had legs of iron. This beast has iron teeth. So we must be talking about the same kingdom, amen? It's interesting how it parallels so perfectly. Now, in Daniel 2, you know who the first kingdom is because... Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And then we see in Daniel 5 that Medo-Persia replaces Babylon. And in Daniel 8, we see that Greece replaces Medo-Persia. But we never see specifically in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, the name of Rome mentioned as Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece are mentioned specifically in the book of Daniel. But God gives us clues that he doesn't necessarily give when we compare Daniel 2 and 7. Yes, you could say the lion is the head of the animal kingdom just as gold is the best of the metals, but in this comparison, we have the most direct comparison of all the kingdoms when we come to the fourth kingdom because Daniel 2 has the legs of iron and the fourth beast has iron teeth. So you have a direct comparison. You see that? It's the, the, a clear direct comparison and God does that so that you will know exactly who the fourth beast represents. Just as the legs of iron represented Rome and Daniel 2, this dreadful, terrible beast with iron teeth represents the kingdom of Rome. And the kingdom of Rome, as we studied in Daniel chapter 2, reigned from 168 B.C. to 476 A.D. And as we talked about, it was diverse from the other beasts. And it has 
ten horns that came up out of it. Now, just to be clear again, we let the Bible interpret itself. In Daniel 7.24, the very same chapter, it tells us about these horns, and it says, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. So, these are ten kings or kingdoms that come up out of the kingdom of Rome. So, what about these ten horns? Let's look a little bit more carefully now in verse 8. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now let's think very carefully here. We see that this fourth beast that we're talking about has to be the kingdom of Rome. And in this fourth beast, it has ten horns, which represent ten kingdoms. And then in addition to those ten horns, which had to have come up out of the kingdom of Rome, you also have a little horn that comes up out of the kingdom of Rome. And it plucks up three of those horns by the roots. It has the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. So first of all, the ten horns that come up after pagan Rome are the nations of divided Europe. Now you remember how we talked about how the feet of iron and clay represented divided Europe. Here you can clearly show that the ten horns are the ten kingdoms of divided Europe. Not only that, the little horn comes up among the ten horns or among divided Europe. So it shouldn't be hard to figure out who the little horn is, right? The little horn comes up among the divided kingdoms of Europe. Do you see that? Yes. So we're just letting the Bible interpret itself. It has the eyes of man and it has a mouth speaking great things. We're going to talk about this further. But I want to talk about the ten horns just so that we know who they are. The ten horns represented the ten nations or peoples that populated Western Europe at the time that pagan Rome came to its end. And these are the people groups, you can see it on the screen. The Alemanni, that represents the Germans. The Anglo-Saxons represent the English. Then I don't remember offhand what all the groups are. You have the Burgundians. The Franks represent the French. You have the Heruli, the Lombards, the Ostrogoths, the Suevi, the Vandals, and the Visigoths. Those are ten kingdoms. So that's interesting. Again, the Bible is very precise, is it not? So why am I taking the time to talk about these beasts and horns? Because really the, the key point of the prophecy is to point us to Jesus, right? But what we're showing here is that the Bible is so specific and accurate about these kingdoms that we can surely trust the Bible when it talks about the end of the world and the coming of Jesus. Amen? So here we see these ten horns representing the ten kingdoms of Europe. Now it's interesting, three horns were plucked out or plucked up by the roots, which means if you take a horn and pick it up by its roots, that means it's not going to grow back, right? That means it's gone. That's like saying you have a plant and you completely uproot it. The roots are gone completely. That plant will not grow again. Same thing with these three horns or kingdoms. They were plucked up by the roots completely or they were annihilated by the little horn that came up among them. And from history, this is very interesting. Papal Rome which came after pagan Rome. And again, the little horn, it comes up out of that fourth beast, which is Rome. So this little horn must be a continuation of Rome. Does that not make sense? Yeah. 
papal Rome destroyed the Harioli, that was one of the ten horns, then the Vandals, that was the second of the ten horns, and finally in 538 AD, the Ostrogoths, thus fulfilling the prophecy that Daniel received centuries before in the first year of Belshazzar, that a power coming out of the fourth beast would destroy three kingdoms completely. So papal Rome meets the specifications of the little horn power because papal Rome came up out of Rome, it came up among the ten horns in Western Europe and it destroyed three of the kingdoms completely. So there's no guesswork as to who the little horn is. Papal Rome meets the specifications, as I said. It became the preeminent power of Europe by 538 AD. Now it's interesting, Daniel 7 verse 25 will come out back to that, but it says that it would rule for a time, times, and the dividing of time. Now, a time in the Bible represents one literal year, Times would be two years, and the dividing of time would be half a year. So what you have are three and a half times, which are three and a half years, or 1260 literal days. Because in the Bible, one year would be 360 days, as opposed to how we have 365 days now. That's a new change compared to back in the Bible. So... In the Bible, in Bible prophecy, one day equals one year. And we get that from Numbers 14.34 and Ezekiel 4.6. So Papal Rome ruled for 1260 years from 538 to 1798 AD. Now, what's interesting is this. When you come to the end of the 1260 years and you get down to 1798 AD, that's only about 200 and... I guess it would be 213 years ago now. That's a lot closer to us in history than way back in Daniel's time, is it not? Now things are starting to become relevant for the present time. Now, let me show you a slide. Now, I want you to all watch the screen very carefully. I'm going to make a graphic here that shows you what happened with Papal Rome. This is a picture of Justinian. He was the Roman emperor and in 533 he made a decree that made the bishop or the pope of Rome, he gave him power over the state to control the state. However, that decree did not gain force for five years and, that, and it took force in 538 when the Roman general Belisarius drove out the Ostrogoths, which was the third of the three horns that was uprooted. And so in 538, the 1260 year prophecy begins. And then when you read Daniel 7.25, they wear out the saints of the Most High. So for 1260 years, you have supremacy by papal Rome, and they were a persecuting power that wore out the saints. At the end of the 1260 years, and here the picture on the right, you see this is Berthier, he's the general of Napoleon, and in the picture in the middle, you see him coming to take the Pope, Pius VI captive in 1798, exactly 1260 years later, right on time according to Bible prophecy. And the significance of this is that at that point, Papal Rome lost its power over the state that it had gained in 538 based on the decree of Justinian. So, isn't it interesting how accurate Bible prophecy is? Amen? So, let's continue on. We've seen the first eight verses now, and what we've seen is that you have four beasts or four kingdoms coming up out of the sea, and at the end of the fourth kingdom, you have a little horn represented by papal Rome, which rules for 1260 years, and after those four kingdoms and the 1260 years of papal supremacy, notice what happens in verse 9. Let's read verse 9 and verse 10. 
I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And what happens next? The judgment was set and the books were open. Now this is fascinating. After these four kingdoms and the 1260 years of papal supremacy, we see a scene in heaven where Daniel in vision sees the thrones in heaven cast down, the Ancient of Days sitting. He sees his throne moving because there are wheels of fire on his throne. And he sees 10,000 times 10,000 standing before the throne of God. Now 10,000 times 10,000, you know how much that is? 100 million. That's a lot of, of heavenly beings, is it not? And not only that, in addition to the hundred million, it says, um, it says thousand thousands ministered unto him and ten thousand times ten thousand. So this is a major event in heaven that is taking place sometime after the four kingdoms and the 1260 years of papal supremacy. Do you see that? It's a major event. And this major event is that the judgment was set. And other translations say the court was seated and the books were open. So if you come to a judgment scene, and here you have the Ancient of Days coming to this judgment scene, and he sits down and they open up the books, what do you think they're going to do with the books? They're going to look through those books, right? They are going to look through and investigate the books to see what the records are in those books. Do you see that? So a major heavenly event is taking place. This judgment begins sometime after 1798. And you see the throne has wheels of fire indicating that it has moved. Now we'll talk about the significance of the movement of the throne perhaps when we talk about the cleansing of the sanctuary. And when it talks about the Ancient of Days, we are talking about God the Father. Because in verses 13 and 14, which we're going to come to, we see the Son of Man mentioned. So the Ancient of Days is different than the Father. I mean, sorry, the Ancient of Days is different than the Son. The Ancient of Days is the Father. So this is what we see so far. This is a magnificent scene in heaven where 10,000 times 10,000 are standing before the throne of God as God the Father comes to begin the judgment in heaven. Now, do you think that the judgment has any relationship to the four kingdoms and the little horn that we just saw. Let's go on to verses 11 and 12, and we're going to see how that question is answered. Let's read verses 11 and 12, Daniel chapter 7. I beheld them because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. Now, have we seen this already? In verse 8 of Daniel chapter 7, we see that this horn has the eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. Right after we see this little horn with, with a mouth speaking great things, immediately the judgment is mentioned in verses 9 and 10. So in verse 8, you have the little horn with a mouth speaking great things. Verses 9 and 10, the judgment. And then in verse 11, the very next thing, we see the great words of the little horn. Do you think that the great words of the little horn just might have something to do with why there's a judgment in heaven? If the Bible mentions something, it mentions the great words of the little horn at the end of verse 8, then it mentions the judgment in heaven, and then right after the judgment in heaven in verses 9 and 10, it mentions the great words of the little horn in verse 11. There must be a relationship to those great words. Because in those great words, you see that he wore out the saints of the Most High. 
And continuing on, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now, who is this beast that was slain? The beast is the fourth beast from which the little horn came out of. Do you see that? The little horn comes out of the fourth beast. The little horn speaks great words. And after the judgment, the result of the judgment is that the beast is slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So one of the results of the judgment is the destruction of the fourth beast kingdom, the kingdom of Rome. Do you see that? So there must be a relationship between the great words of the little horn of the kingdom of Rome and the beginning of the judgment. And then in verse 12, as concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. Now what does that mean? What this means is that as a result of the judgment, Rome will be destroyed. And in the book of 2 Thessalonians, it talks about how the mystery of iniquity is going to be destroyed by the brightness of the coming of Christ when Jesus comes the second time. Rome will meet its final destruction because it's still in existence today when Jesus comes. But the other kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, their dominion was taken away, but the territories that they existed in, they, that they existed in still are there today. You still have modern Greece. Greece is still in existence today. And Persia is the, is the nation of Iran to this very day. They lost their dominion. They're not the leading world empire, but their lives were prolonged. Do you see that? Let's continue. So, verses 13 and 14. Let's read verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came where? To the Ancient of Days. So is this talking about the second coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven? No, it's not. And you know what? It's interesting. Early Seventh-day Adventists, or the people who would become Seventh-day Adventists, actually thought this was talking about the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven. But it's not. Because the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. And where is the Ancient of Days? He's in the judgment, seated to investigate the books that have been set before him. So Jesus is coming in the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days. And it says they brought him near before him. And then verse 14 then gives us the end result of the judgment. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So here's what we see. Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days or to the Father. So when the judgment began, it wasn't like the clock changed and suddenly Jesus and the Father say, okay, the judgment has begun. No, they made an announcement to the onlooking universe that this is a major significant event in heaven. Just as Jesus is going to come in the clouds to this earth the second time, He came in the clouds to begin the judgment. Which tells you that the beginning of the judgment is a very important, significant event in heaven. As the Father came to begin the judgment, the Son came and joined Him. And He didn't just come, He came on the clouds of heaven. So this is a major event. And the result of the judgment is that Christ's kingdom is set up which will never be destroyed. The kingdoms represented by the four beasts, those kingdoms are temporary. They are earthly. And just as the stone which represents God's kingdom came and struck the image in Daniel 2, which were the kingdoms of this earth, and those kingdoms were destroyed, here we see that in the judgment, God will set up His kingdom which will destroy all the kingdoms of this earth. Amen? So we see the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days. This is not the second coming. The Ancient of Days has come to the judgment. The Son of Man joins the Ancient of Days for the judgment. 
Now, these first 14 verses are what Daniel saw in vision. After that is an explanation of the vision. So verses 15 through 28, I believe, yes, verses 15 through 28 are going to explain to us in greater detail what we've seen. We have the basics. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, followed by the ten divisions of Europe, followed by the rise of the Little Horn Power as it destroys three kingdoms and it reigns for 1260 years and then there's the judgment in heaven. Now what is Daniel's reaction to what he sees? Let's read verses 15 through 18. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth, but saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Amen? Amen? So, what was Daniel's reaction to this vision? He was grieved by what he saw. Those first 14 verses grieved him. And, you know, he wasn't just like, wow, that was an interesting vision. That was, that was some kind of a dream. Who knows what that meant? We'll just maybe figure it out if I study the Bible once in a while from here on out. No. As soon as he sees what he saw, he says... What does this mean? Can you tell me what the truth of all this is? And in two verses, the heavenly bang tells him, These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High are going to take the kingdom. Yeah. Now, do you think that that satisfied Daniel? I mean, the heavenly bang says, Oh, you want to know what this means? I'll tell you. Those four beasts are four kingdoms. You probably already knew that because the lion is Babylon and you know that Babylon represents itself as a lion. And those are four kingdoms that are going to rule on the earth, but because of the judgment, the saints of the Most High are going to take the kingdom, which will be an everlasting kingdom. Now here's a key point to mention. How can we know that there are saints at the end of the judgment? What happens is the Father and the Son, they sit down and they review the books and they determine who the saints are. They determine who really lives according to what they profess. Because, you know, sometimes people say, you know, when I study Daniel chapter 7 and I study about the judgment, it just seems to me that the judgment is talking about how God is going to judge the kingdoms of this world. But in verse 18, we clearly see that God can determine who the saints are based on the judgment as well. Do you see that? So yes, we see that there are four kingdoms and the judgment is going to bring destruction to those four beasts. But not only that, we, will, we see that there will be saints who are determined to be saints as a result of the judgment. Now Daniel was not satisfied by this answer. Notice we're going to read verses 19 through 22. Notice what Daniel wants to know more about. Daniel, when he wants to know what happens, it's interesting, he's not even asking, I want to know more about the judgment especially. Notice what he wants to know. Verse 19, then I would know the truth of what? The fourth beast. And as I mentioned, when you see those four beasts, the first three beasts are mentioned in one verse each. You get a straightforward description. You know who they are. And then the fourth beast is given mention with two verses with a more dramatic description. And it's that specific beast that is destroyed as a result of the judgment. And so Daniel, he wants to know more about that beast, the fourth beast. He wants to know the truth of the fourth beast. What the, the heavenly being told him by just saying, yeah, those four beasts are four kingdoms and the saints are going to take the kingdom. That's not enough information. He wants to know, what's this fourth kingdom? You see that? Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. 
verse 20, and of, and of the ten horns. Now notice, this is Daniel describing what he saw, not the heavenly being telling him. Verse 20, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other, this is the little horn, which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake, how what? Very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Verse 21, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Now this is interesting. Daniel is speaking back to the heavenly being and he's saying tell me about this fourth beast and if you look carefully what he's especially interested about the fourth beast he, he mentions that it's diverse or different from the other ones but he also wants to know especially about that little horn with a mouth that spoke very great things this is the third time now that we've heard about the little horn that speaks great things and specifically he notices that this little horn made war against the saints or against God's people until the judgment came. So, you know, sometimes people will say, you know, people who talk about the judgment, they're just trying to scare us and the judgment, we don't need to worry about the judgment. We should praise God that there's a judgment. Because when the judgment came, we see that because of the judgment, God could make judgment against the persecutors of his people so that his saints would be delivered. So we should be glad that there's a judgment. The judgment is good news. Okay. So, Daniel wanted to know more. He wants to know about the fourth piece. He's especially concerned about the little horn, and he sees that the little horn made war with the saints. So what does the heavenly being say in verses 23 through 25? Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. Now, if you've noticed, verses 17 and verses 23, which I had referred to earlier to help us interpret the first eight verses, now we see how it's just interpreting itself as we go through. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and shall break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. There it is again, the fourth time that this little horn speaks great words. But who are these words directed against? They are directed against the Most High. They are directed against God. He shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. So notice, this fourth beast is diverse. Now what makes this fourth beast diverse? This fourth beast is different than, the, than and we know it's Rome, it's different than Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Rome as the fourth beast is diverse or different because it has this little horn that eventually becomes a great big horn, bigger than all the other horns mentioned, the other ten horns, and it has a mouth speaking great things. Specifically, it speaks against the Most High. It's a power, it's a kingdom that speaks against God and it thinks or tries to change the law of God which means that it is a power that assumes religious power. It brings church and state together and it persecutes those who do not agree with its religious beliefs. That's what makes it different. The first three kingdoms were primarily political, but the little horn adds the religious dimension to this beast. It combines church and state, and it destroys three kingdoms in its rise to power. The great words of the little horn, it's mentioned four times, 
We saw it, verse 8, initially, then we see the judgment, then after the judgment, again, it's mentioned in verse 11, and again, the great words of the little horn are mentioned in verses 20 and 25. Now, if something is mentioned four times in one chapter, do you think that's important? Yeah. yeah. The great words of the little horn are very important. Specifically, the great words of the little horn is that the little horn spoke against the Most High. He thought to change times and laws. Now notice, he didn't really change God's law. But he thought to change God's law. Now how did the little horn, or papal Rome, try to change God's law? You realize that papal Rome takes full responsibility for changing the day of worship from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. Notice, of all the Ten Commandments, the only one that God says remember is the commandment about the Sabbath because God knew that a power would come upon this earth that would try to get us to forget the Sabbath. And this power tried to change the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day and yet it's the seventh day that is the mark of God's authority. God rested on the seventh day to show that he is the creator of this earth. And yet papal Rome thinks to change times and laws to show that it has the power of God on this earth. And in that sense, it's speaking great words because it is presuming to take the power of God here on this earth and to replace God by changing God's law. Now I want to show you something very interesting. This is the connection between the book of Daniel and Revelation, and we're about to wrap up here. Turn quickly to Revelation chapter 13, and you're going to see a very interesting connection between Daniel chapter 7 and the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13, and this is John the Revelator. Verse 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, have we seen beasts rise up out of the sea? Yeah, we saw four in Daniel chapter 7. Now, notice this beast. It has seven heads and ten horns, and upon its horns ten crowns, and upon its heads the name of blasphemy. Now, notice the description of the beast in verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. Have we seen a leopard beast? Yes, we have. And his feet were as the feet of what? A bear. Have we seen a bear beast? Yes. And his mouth as the mouth of a what? A lion. Now what did the lion represent? Babylon. So this beast has the mouth of a lion or the mouth of Babylon. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now. Just so you're clear, Revelation 12 verse 9 shows that the dragon is Satan. So Satan is giving his power to this beast in Revelation 13. And this beast has the mouth of, the, of a lion, which is the mouth of Babylon. Now, I want you to, to come down to verse 5 and notice what it says. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking what? Great things. Have we seen that? In Daniel 7, we saw a little horn four different times speaking great things. Specifically, great things against the Most High. And in Revelation 13, we see a composite beast of all the beasts of Daniel 7. The leopard, the bear, and the lion. And specifically, when this beast speaks, it speaks with the characteristics of Babylon. It has a mouth speaking great things. And notice how long was power given to this beast in verse 5. It was given power to continue 42 months. Now in the Bible, there are 30 days in a month. Do you know what 42 times 30 is? 1260. It's the same 1260 years that the little horn of Daniel 7 reigned for. So do you see the connection between Daniel 7 and Revelation 13? Yes. 
Definitely. So the beast of Revelation 13 is a composite of Daniel 7. The mouth of the lion is the mouth of Babylon. Its power is from Satan the dragon. And it has a mouth speaking blasphemies for 42 months or 1260 days, just like the little horn. So here's the key point. The little horn, which has the mouth speaking great words against the Most High, speaking blasphemies, the little horn is none other than Babylon. Which means that Papal Rome is Babylon. Do you hear me? Which is fascinating. This is why Daniel could hardly wrap his mind around the fourth beast. Because he's saying, I see a power that's different than the other powers. I see a power that assumes a religious nature, but instead of being true to God, it claims to be God's power on earth, but instead it persecutes God's true saints. And it puts them to death for worshiping God the way God says to be worshipped. And that was something that Daniel could hardly understand. And Revelation 13 gives us further information. The unbelievable thing about Babylon, about this beast power, papal Rome, which presumes to be the church of God on earth, is that it actually has received its power from the dragon, Satan. And it does the work that Satan did it in heaven by trying to change God's law, by speaking against God, and by persecuting anyone who goes against him. And then we see Daniel 7, 26 through 28, just as we wrap up here. Daniel chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. Here we read, But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. Aren't you thankful that Babylon is going to be destroyed as a result of the judgment? Yeah. Verse 27, And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in, in my heart. Daniel was troubled by the fact that a religious power could persecute God's people. So we see the judgment sits after 1260 years. We see that dominion is taken away from the little horn and the kingdom is given to the saints. Now very briefly, let's make this practical for us because we see that yes, the kings of this world, the kingdoms of this earth, have had power over God's people. They've prevailed against the saints. But a time is coming as a result of the judgment that the saints will receive the kingdom. We want to be the saints who receive the kingdom. Amen? So what is it that will allow us to be saints who receive the kingdom and that we will live forever with God? First quote, Review and Herald, May 7, 1901, written by Ellen White. When the judgment shall sit, and everyone shall be judged by the things written in the books, the authority of God's law will be looked upon in a light altogether different from that in which it is now regarded by the Christian world. Satan has blinded their eyes and confused their understanding as he blinded and confused Adam and Eve and led them into transgression. The law of Jehovah is great even as its author is great. In the judgment it will be recognized as holy, just, and good in all its requirements. Those who transgress this law will find that they have a serious account to settle with God for his claims are decisive. And you know, that is why we have a message to call people out of Babylon because Babylon has thought to change times and laws and we are to show Babylon through the three angels' messages that God's law has not changed, that the Sabbath is still binding and that God's law really does matter. Yeah. Now continuing, Review and Herald, September 20, 1898. Christ would have all understand the events of his second appearing. The judgment scene will take place in the presence of all the worlds. For in this judgment, the government of God will be vindicated, and his law will stand forth as holy and just and good. You notice how she mentions God's law as holy, just, and good? That's the same characteristics as God himself. 
So don't let anyone tell you that God nailed his, the law to the cross because that would be the same thing as saying that his character was nailed to the cross. We don't go around telling people that because Jesus died on the cross, it's okay to go out and steal, kill, cheat, commit adultery, and do whatever you want. But then people say, yeah, it was nailed to the cross, so you don't have to keep the fourth commandment anymore. That makes no sense. God's law has not changed. She says his law is holy, just, and good. Then every case will be decided and sentence will be passed upon all. Sin will not then appear attractive, but will be seen in all its hideous magnitude. All will see the relation in which they stand to God and to one another. You see, this judgment is serious business. The keeping of God's law isn't just an optional thing because the law represents God's character and God has said that by sending my son, I have shown that I can transform lives so that people can be changed into the image of my character. And the final quote, Great Controversy, page 490. Though all nations are to pass in judgment before God, yet he will examine the case of each individual with as close and searching scrutiny as if there were not another being upon the earth. Everyone must be tested and found without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Solemn are the scenes connected with the closing work of the atonement. Momentous are the interests involved therein. The judgment is now passing in the sanctuary above. And we're going to talk about the sanctuary on Friday night. For many years this work has been in progress. Soon. None know how soon it will pass to the cases of the living. In the awful presence of God, our lives are to come up in review. At this time, above all others, it behooves every soul to heed the Savior's admonition. Watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Mark 13.33 If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know that what hour I will come upon thee. You know, Jesus is coming soon. The judgment has begun in heaven. And we're going to see the exact date in our next presentation. But the judgment has begun. Jesus is our great high priest, seated on the right hand of the throne of God, interceding on our behalf. And he wants each one of us. He is our advocate. He is advocating on our behalf that we will be ready when he comes the second time. He wants us to be among the saints who take the kingdom. And now is the time to be watching and praying. We must have our eyes on Jesus as never before. We must be praying as never before so that when the judgment closes, as we have passed through the searching scrutiny, God the Father will look upon our lives and when He looks upon us, He will see Jesus in us because we have committed our lives completely to Him. If you want Jesus to be a representation of your life when the judgment is finished, and if you want to surrender your life completely to Him at this time, I would invite you to stand as we have a closing prayer. We want our lives to be a representation of the life of Christ when the judgment comes to its end. We are living at the end of earth's history. Now is the time to be right with God. Not tomorrow, not next week, but right now. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you see everyone standing. You know that each one of us wants to be right with you in the judgment. We thank you that Jesus is our advocate, who is our defender, who is advocating for us on our behalf because he loves us so much. He died for us. He wants us to be ready when he comes. Lord, whatever sin there may be in our lives that we are hanging on to, may we lay it at the altar and may it be completely crushed out of our lives. We thank you that Jesus not only came to save us from the record of our sin, from the guilt of our sin, but from the power and the presence of sin as well. And may we be found ready on that great and wonderful day when Jesus comes back the second time in the clouds of heaven. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.